This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If I'm going to admit something here today, it's that fishing has never actually been my from early on, really my only exposure has been fishing off the pier in my grandparents' cabin up in Three Lakes, Wisconsin. And as it turns out, fishing with bamboo poles off of the pier didn't exactly result in the most exhilarating fishing experiences. Quite often, in fact, the fish that we'd pull in were slightly larger than the bait that we used to catch them. And so fishing has just never quite been an activity I've been able to get into. Now, last year, our family took a retreat at LOMC, and we were allowed to pick from a list of potential family activities to participate in. One of them was fishing. So much to my surprise, the boys said they wanted to go fishing, even though it's really not something we've ever done or found great success in. And as it turns out, my hunch was right. The pacing was a little too slow for them. The fish weren't biting quite as frequently as they would have liked, and boredom quickly set in. Now, maybe this sort of lack of fishing acumen is a genetic thing, but I think it had a lot to do with the pacing. It just simply isn't that level of patience in us to be good at this particular task. But, I'll say this, slow pacing certainly isn't an issue when it comes to Mark's gospel. We are only 14 verses into the very first chapter, and a lot has happened. Jesus has been born. Jesus has been baptized. Jesus has been tested in the wilderness. John has already gone and proclaimed his message and has gotten arrested as a result of the message he has proclaimed. All of this in the span of a mere 14 verses. In fact, in all of Mark's gospel, the shortest gospel, by the way, there are 27 immediately's that occur. Everything is happening quickly. The story moves sometimes at a breakneck speed. In fact, today, immediately unfolding before us is the kingdom of God. And it's that kingdom of God that is where we find Jesus picking up the preaching where John left off. John preached about the kingdom of God coming near, preached repentance, and very much that's the same message that Jesus himself shares today, a message of repentance. In fact, it's this message of repentance that stands at the center of multiple sermons and messages as it turns out this day. You see, it's this call to repent that stands as the foundation of Jonah's sermon to the people in Nineveh from our first reading. 
Now, of course, Nineveh is, contains a group of people that at this point, let's say, Jonah has very, very little patience for, right? And so he gets up and he preaches to them this sermon. You ready for it? Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Amen. Now, that's not only one of the shortest sermons I've ever heard, but perhaps one of the worst sermons I've ever heard, right? No humor whatsoever, and really, he didn't seem to know his crowd terribly well. But as it turns out, it might be one of the most effective sermons ever preached because it leads to change. The people hear the message, and they repent. They take the necessary steps to right the wrong, right? It's this begrudging call to repent that's framed as a truth or consequence moment that leads to the people responding in a substantive way. Literally, in this case, sackcloth and ashes, right? Now, for John and subsequently Jesus, repentance isn't limited to this sort of, for lack of a better phrase, turn or burn style of moralism, but instead it's truth-telling, right? Repentance is a sort of truth-telling regarding the moment that's already at hand. True repentance for Jesus and John is metanoia. It's this willingly and intentionally changing of a mind or dare say, I say life, of whether it be an individual or community that's convinced that there's a better path forward. It's an intentional choice to be made. It's a change. And this change oftentimes leads to greater solidarity, greater unity. Not just between us, but between us and God. In fact, one of the things I think I love most about this section of Jonah that we get today is that in that particular story, God's own self is willing to change too. God is in solidarity with the people of Nineveh and being willing to change God's mind as the people themselves do the same. Today, the invitation, of course, is also to change in our gospel. An invitation to, to follow me and to be made to fish for people. Jesus says, I will make you fish for people is a statement based in change. And this call leads to an immediate response by at least four people, right? Four of his soon-to-be disciples who leave behind their livelihood for new Jesus invites them to fish for people, though he's not adding to their to-do list, right? He's not adding just another thing to accomplish in order to be deemed worthy. He's not even just adding another thing to their catch list. But instead, instead he's inviting them to change. He's inviting them into an entirely new identity as followers of Christ that reorients their lives around the good news that Jesus shares. Good news, of course, being that he himself will defeat death once and for all, right? And this good news is part of the revealing of this kingdom, again, happening immediately around us. A kingdom that is most visibly revealed when we repent, when we change our worldview, when we change our worldview because we believe that something better is possible now. Perhaps... The better translation of this, I will make you fish for people, is I will make you to become fishers of people. I know it sounds really similar, but that's a big difference, right? 
saying, I will make you fish for people is not the same as saying, I will make you to become fishers of people. Because the latter one, right? The latter one, when we take up this call to follow, it's not just what you're going to do, but it's about becoming something new altogether. Becoming that fisher of people. In other words, it's a completely new identity. And when we fish, we don't fish one fish at a time, right? We don't use lures and baits, something that, that, that's based in deception. But instead, when we fish for people, we fish with the truth of the good news. We cast wide nets that gather in all kinds of people because Mark from the very beginning makes it clear that this is good news, not just for a handful of people, but this is good news for all people in all places. See, this work of fishing, right, of becoming fishers of people, this work of discipleship is a completely new way of life. In fact, it's the way of the cross. The cross, you see, is a place where we find victory in defeat. Unity in a future that's already present. It's believing that we're at our best when we are working hand in hand together with one another. Now, this message for change, right? This message for unity was loud and clear this past week at the president's inauguration. Particularly, I found this call for unity and for change in the words of poet laureate Amanda Gorman's poem that she read, The Hill We Climb. And I want to share just a brief bit of that with you right now. She said, And so, we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true, that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together victorious, not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Repentance, you see is not about an individual. This repentance, this message that stands at the center of our readings this day is about recognizing that which divides us and changing our lives to ensure that it divides us no more. And the moment we learn to do that, the moment we learn to turn our lives around and to truly repent is the moment that we become something new altogether followers of Christ, disciples in his name, becoming fishers of people for the sake of the good news for all people. Thanks be to God for that calling this day and always.